welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. This is our first show since the end of the World Series. We are looking ahead towards the free agency market and the offseason. We're going to talk about how Anthony Rendon might age, what might happen if the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts, who the next Mike Talkman might be. I swear that's going to be interesting. I promise it's not a good headline. I get it. Uh, one quick thing about Will Harris in Game 7, qualifying offers and awards. Before we get started on any of that, as somebody will almost certainly know and uh, tweet at us, we are trying out a new recording system today, so if it doesn't sound exactly the same, I promise we're working on it, but please let us know uh, if it sounds okay. Matt, we made it through the World Series. Uh, we're not going to go back through all seven games, because we're going to get to a Will Harris thing at the end, but that ended up being pretty fun, I think, right? Like the middle, the DC games you were at, not super fun, but Game 6 and Game 7 were awesome, I thought. They were, there was, it was lacking that like moment. Like I, I was, I, I was rooting just for like an exciting ninth inning. So I was like a little bummed out, I guess what was in, in uh, the bo- top of the ninth was Adam Eaton got like a two run single to make it like six to two. Yeah. I was like, wanted that moment in the ninth inning where like, you know, uh, you had, you know, Bregman come up with a man on and it could be the tying run that kind of, I wanted that moment. We didn't get it. So that was a little bit of a bummer, but yes, it was. The last game in particular ended up being very, very compelling. Game. That was one of the downsides of the road team winning every single game is that the home team never really got home fans never really got a chance to go nuts. Yeah, <laughs> there was no, there was nothing even resembling like a, a chance for a walk off hit. Yeah, which is uh, kind of a bummer. But anyway, uh, a fun World Series, and now we are off into the postseason. And I just realized I feel sort of bad. Like the Nationals had this great moment, and the very first thing we're going to talk about is, hey, where's Anthony Rendon going to go? <laughs> he might stay. He, he might, might stay. stay. Um, what I was interested in is, uh, I don't know, we, we have talked about how Anthony Rendon is underrated for so many years that it, it no longer seems true. Like he is properly rated, right? He's, After the World Series, he's yes. definitely properly rated. Uh, and he, he is coming off a couple of very good seasons. So what I was interested to know is um, what have previous versions of Anthony Rendon looked like? Like how have they aged? And we've done this in years past with like Lorenzo Cain and Nelson Cruz and J.D. Martinez. Um, this is kind of like a surface level look. I'm sure teams will use advanced modeling and all sorts of stuff. I just kind of went uh, and did it at a high level because I thought it would be interesting. So the way I, I took a crack at this is I looked at guys who were ending their 20s. So that's what Rendon is. He just played his age 29 season. And I looked at the last three seasons of their 20s. And I tried to find guys who were somewhat similar to Anthony Rendon. And so the way I did that was um, I looked at going back to 1969. So the first year of divisional play. I looked for guys who had a weighted runs created plus between 140 and 160. So 40% to 60% uh, above average uh, with at least a thousand plate appearances and 50% of their playing time coming as a third baseman and with a positive defensive value in terms of wins above replacement. I think we saw in the World Series, Rendon isn't just a good hitter. It's a really good fielder. People don't give him credit for that. Uh, anytime I try to compare him to Nolan Arenado, Rockies fans absolutely lose their minds. To be fair, Rockies fans have their minds about a lot of things related to Nolan Arenado. That's fair. Um, so it was it was interesting, like setting that bar between 140 and 160. I think Rendon was like 154 or something like that because uh, it cuts out like Miguel Cabrera, who was a much better hitter than that. Uh, it cuts out uh, Chipper Jones, who fell in that that list, but actually had a negative uh, defensive value, which I, I hadn't really thought about. But then I guess you know he did end up in the outfield. For a while, like that makes sense. Yeah, one of the weirder things about Shepard Jones' career was how, like, in the middle of his in the middle of his prime, they moved into left field in difference for Vinny Castillo. Yeah, like in retrospect, it's like what that happened, but it does speak to him actually not being that great of a third baseman. Because if the Braves thought he was that great of a third baseman, they would not have moved him to left field for, for Vinny Castillo. I went back and I found an article when I was researching this because I, I just wanted to remember. And uh, young Andrew Jones was playing center field, 
and I am totally blanking on who the uh, the other corner outfielder was. Oh, Sheffield. That's who it was. So they were basically talking about how Jones was going to have to cover the entire outfield <laughs> because Chipper Jones and Sheffield were not going to be able to do it. Uh, so I did that, and I came up with uh, with 10 players, including Rendon. Of the other nine players, five of them are Hall of Famers, and two of them have a really good case to be. So the other nine guys I came up with here, uh, first the five Hall of Famers, Mike Schmidt, Wade Boggs, George Brett, Tony Perez, Edgar Martinez. Uh, the two other guys who had who, who arguably could or should be Hall of Famers are Alex Rodriguez and Scott Rowland. I think Rowland belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, A-Rod obviously does, but he's got some off-field issues left to deal with. And then finally, uh, Josh Donaldson, who's still playing, and Matt Williams. Those guys are an incredibly uh, impressive <laughs> list of names, right? Even if you think about... You know, going forward, okay, Perez mostly played first base after that. Edgar Martinez is a better defender than you think, but he ended up playing DH after that. All of these guys hit. So I went and I said, okay, well, here's my list of guys. What did they do going forward? Um, there, I couldn't find a disaster. I couldn't find a bad year. Here's just a, as a group, their weighted runs created plus, where 100 is league average uh, over the next five years. At age 30, 138. At age 31, 144. Then 134. Then 134. Then 122, the worst guy on that list is probably Matt Williams, right? Over the next five years, Matt Williams had 121 homers, two all-star games, a third place finish in the MVP, and only one bad year uh, when he was injured. It is almost unprecedented for a guy to be as good at third base as Rendon has been at this age and not continue to excel. Like you're you're going to gamble hundreds of million dollars on him. You want some sort of certainty. I don't know how much more certain you can get. And he, I mean, he had some in his in his um, younger years. He had some injury issues, and he spent some time at second base. But ever like the last couple of years, even this year, he missed spent a little time in the DL. He's been pretty durable and reliable. He's played in at least 135 games in each of the last four years. Only last year, it's like going back to 2016: 156, 147, 136. 146. So, like, the injury issues of early in his career. Yeah, it was ankle issues at one yeah. point. He's got 597 plate appearances or more in four of the last six seasons. He's got no platoon splits. Uh, his fourth season of six-plus wins above replacement in the last six. Since 2014, he has tied with Kristen, Christian Yelich as the fifth most valuable player. I cannot find a bad thing to say about Anthony Rendon. He's a he's a finalist for the NL MVP this year, further proving that he's no longer right. underrated. right. So, I don't love the beard. It's not a look <laughs> I would go with, but. <laughs> um, so where do you think he's going to end up? Here's what everybody seems to keep saying. And I don't know if this is true or not. Um, like, you know, Bryce Harper signed his 13 year contract. He's a couple years younger, right? Everybody seems to think that Anthony Rendon doesn't actually want to play baseball until he's like 38, 39. So maybe he's like the guy who finally gets that well, he, four he a, year at 45 million per deal. Like he had that quote where someone was like, what do you think you'll be doing? At, what do you think you'll be at age 36? He was like, hopefully not playing baseball right. anymore. When, when he was one of the nationals who didn't go to the white house, I couldn't figure out if that was a political statement or that he just legitimately didn't care. <laughs> he, he didn't go to the all-star game. He right. didn't go. That's right. right. He was just like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Um, but it was cool. He went to like the nationals. He spent a day at the nationals clinic in DC with playing baseball kids. Right. Right. So Which like, is cool. He's a he's a he's a he's a he's a different 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 kind of cat. I respect that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, but that does open up some possibilities. If he really says like, "Hey, I want to play for five more years. I want to make as much money as I can during those years, but I'm not necessarily trying to like maximize as long term as I can." That that sounds like the Dodgers to me. <laughs> the Dodgers, the Rangers, Rangers, Phillies, yeah. and Nats seem like the like the places. Um, 
you know, the, the Dodgers have Turner, but they could move him to first base. They sh- yeah, they should probably. He's only got one year left, and he's he gets hurt a lot. And then, but then there's also these rumor, the John Paul Morosi report. They're going to make a play for Lindor, which also makes a lot of sense. Um, it makes some sense. Like I, I get the idea. Like I would prefer Lindor to Corey Seager, but they both have two years left on their deals. I think. And yes. I don't know. Lindor is better than Seager, but by how much? Like enough for it to matter for the Dodgers? Shrug. You can't see me shrugging here, but I am shrugging. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Dodgers make sense. Phillies, Rangers. You know, there's the whole oh, Moon New Ballpark. He's from Texas. Yeah. You need a third baseman that that checks out. And then also the national. Here's the thing about the Nationals: like as much as they've been an aggressive spender in free agency in recent years, their long term payroll outlook is not crazy right now. They're like, uh, according to the Fangraphs estimates, their luxury tax payroll estimate is like 132 million right now, which is way, which is 70 million below the threshold. So they have some room. Um, you know, and then a couple of their like higher paid guys are going to be free agents after this season, such as Doolittle. Um, and I guess there's, you know, Animal Sanchez and Adam Eaton. I guess they have two, they have team options for 2021. So it's not unforeseen, like it's not crazy to think they could bring back Rendon and Strasburg. Well, let me throw out two other teams for you. Uh, he's not going to end up with either one. First of all, the Astros. I, I know I know what you're saying. Hey, they've got good left side infielders. Um, Rendon at third. Bregman at shortstop. Carlos Correa at first base. Seems to get hurt a lot. You know, I like, listen, Gurriel's a nice player, but he's, he's not. He's like 36 now. Yeah, right. He's not a roadblock for me. I don't um, see that. I don't see it happening. No, I don't see it happening whatsoever. Uh, the Angels also desperately could use him. Like, I like David Fletcher. He could play second base. It's fine. They need pitching. They need a lot. Yeah. Like, they, they need a lot. <laughs> um, I think they were going to be focused on Cole or yes. Strasburg, or the Cole Angels. And or yeah, Strasburg. <laughs> so that's where I think their priorities will lie. So I think that the four teams you mentioned seem like the, the first four seem like the most likely landing spots for Rendon. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. And then, other than Rendon, the position player who's going to be drawing the most interest this offseason <sighs> is Mookie Betts. Can you hear me sighing? Like, I hate the idea that Mookie Betts being traded is even a thing we could be talking about. He's if he's not the best player in baseball, he's number two, I think, to to play Trout. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> as as I start, and we'll, we'll, you know, as we get into this, as I like was was researching for this and like looking into it. It makes a lot of sense for why they will trade him. And I'm not saying it's like, I'm not saying I support it, but like when you look through the, the, the rational reasons for why they would want to trade him, a lot of it makes Does it sense. though? Wait, well, let's, let's, okay, let's run, run through to make your case about how great. Mookie Betts. I mean, listen, the listeners of this podcast do not need me to explain to them how great Mookie Betts is, right? Obviously, uh, 2018, he won the MVP. He had a 10-win season. It was literally one of the greatest seasons in the history of baseball in 2018. He didn't quite match that in 2019, but it's still a very good season. 391 on base, 524 slugging. Uh, He just turned 27 last month. Over the last four years, only Mike Trout has more wins of a replacement. You know this. Lucky Betts is awesome. Even this, and even this year, I was actually surprised I went and looked at his uh, baseball savant page. You know, his MVP year, his expected weight on base was four thirty three. Um, this year it was four eight, which was still top three percent of the league. Yeah, he's so he, really he, good. He got off to a bit of a slow start, but then like second half, he was. He, I remember writing about it. Like in April, he hit a bunch of rockets uh, into some really cold weather into the triangle. In in center field in Boston, and that hurt him a little bit. And his his walk rate even went up a little bit, and his strikeout rate yeah. even went down. What are we talking about here? He's great. So okay, 
JD Martinez did not opt out, right? And I guess let's quick segue that I think a lot of people were surprised by that. I thought it made a lot of sense. I mean, say what you will about Scott Boris, he's really good at his job. And when you look at the landscape, where was he going to go? I call. I know Boris says he's an outfielder. He's not an outfielder. He's a DH. Then you look around the league, like the Angels have 75 DHs. A lot of the teams uh, in the bottom of the AL are like in the mood for that right now. The White Sox? Yeah, maybe. But he is already kind of a DH. Jose Abreu is probably going to come back. Yeah. There just was not going to be a bidding war. As, I mean, as good of a hitter as Martinez is, and he is, like Detroit's not going to sign him right now. Like Seattle's not going to sign him right now. The Twins have Cruz. The fit was the Rays. And the only, yeah. like, that's the only fit of like, hey, here's a team that could use a, like a, just a masher. Right. And they That'd have be a great fit. They're, they, not gonna they're, they're not going to, they're not going to spend $30 million a year on a DH. Right. So, yeah. So it made sense for, for him to stay. And that sort of put the, now, now we kind of put the onus on the Red Sox, right? Cause basically the luxury tax tax threshold, I'll try and summarize this as best I can. This year is $208 million, but the Red Sox have exceeded it each of the last two years. So like basically what happens is that every year you exceed it, the amount of percentage you pay on the overage increases um and right now they're projected this is the fan graph estimate when you factor in projected arbitration raises um they're at about 236 million and the threshold this year is 208 so mookie betts is projected to get about 27 28 million in arbitration so the easiest way for the red sox to get below the threshold is to trade mookie betts for a bunch of prospects who make the league minimum or less and that would essentially yeah. solve this problem because the Red Sox want to, you know, as I said, they've said it. They've said with they've said with their new uh, head of baseball operations, Heim Bloom. It is not a mandate. It is a know, there's a word that they use like a suggestion, a preference. It's not a mandate, <laughs> but it is. Um, right? Like, I mean, I, I I hate that that's even a thing we have to care about. Like, go over it. So what? But the 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 the, the flip side of it is this: is basically that, like the Red Sox. If they don't think they're going to sign Mookie Betts long term because they've decided that, well, he said he's no matter where he is, he's going to go to. Free so I guess the, the 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 reason beyond just the luxury tax stuff is if he's not going to sign long term, and you already have a very good young core of guys that you could build around with, um, leading with Bogarts endeavors um, mm-hmm. off the top. Yeah, you could say like, you know what, we want to just like spin the cycle forward, and we could still compete next year even if we don't have Mookie Betts. And then really fortify our team for 2021 and beyond. If you get a good deal. Because, like, their farm system right now is pretty weak. Exactly. Well, that's – I mean, that's that's sort of the – you know, I'm I'm sort of making the the devil's advocate case. It's not – yes, the the luxury tax part of it is part of the conversation. Like, no matter how you slice it, that's part of the conversation. But when you factor in that, like, if you want to sort of, like, spin forward the cycle with, like, the next group of young Red Sox while also building up what's right now – um, a, uh, a a poor farm system. You can you can sort of see how this how this might happen. I mean, we've seen superstar players get traded before. I mean, just last year, Paul Goldschmidt got traded a year from. He's he's not he's not Mookie Betts. Well, I'm I'm glad you said that because that is exactly what I wanted to ask you about. How do you find a deal for Mookie Betts? I, I I don't know that you can. I was thinking about this when I wrote about this last week. Any possible deal you could come up with. Uh, the fans of the Red Sox would say, well, that, that's not enough. This is Mookie Betts. And the fans of the other team would say, wait, there's only one year of Mookie Betts. That's way too much. You know, it's like it's really hard to find a fit. And to, to kind of back that up, I went and tried to find a precedent over the last decade or so. I wanted to find, you know, top players who'd been traded with one year of team control left 
and I couldn't find a good precedent. So some of the names I came up with were uh, Paul Goldschmidt last year, McCutcheon when he went from the Pirates to the Giants, you know, Jason Hayward, Jason uh, Justin Upton in years past. Those are good players. I don't think any of them at the time were Mookie Betts. They're older or just not as good. So that, those don't count. And then you had guys who were traded uh, in season with half a year left for not great returns. You know, Manny Machado, Josh Donaldson, J.D. Martinez, Matt Holliday. Like, there has not been a situation like this. The, the, the one sort of comp I could think of um, was when Johan Santana got traded to the Mets with one year left in his deal. At the time, he was the best pitcher in baseball. The difference is, though, that it was predicated on him signing an extension. Wait, I remember this Diolis Guerra was in that. Carlos Gomez, uh, Philip Humber, who yeah. had just been the number three pick in the draft and a couple years earlier. One other pitcher type, Kevin Mulvey. Wow, oh, our, our brains are diseased. <laughs> <laughs> he had been high, he had been high draft pick. I'm not sure he ever made it in the. Uh, yeah, in the, I think he made the majors briefly, but uh, Guerra, Gomez, and Humber were all like big time prospects. But yeah. at the same time, it was predicated on him signing extension. So if a team was able to get bets to agree to an extension, it would change change the tenor of, of negotiations. So I tried to figure out who those teams this year might be. And I, I identified uh, like five requirements that a team would need to have. Number one, you've, either, you've got to be a contender, either already or close enough that he'll make you one. Obviously, uh, you know, a team that's in last place and just lost 103 games, bets is not going to make you a contender. The second thing is you've got to have a, a clear need in the outfield. Obviously, you make room for bets, but if you're a team like... Uh, you know, with a stacked outfield and a big pitching need, maybe you don't worry about him so much. Uh, the third thing is obviously you've got to be able to give Boston what they want in terms of, of prospects. You've got to be able to pay him the 28 or so million dollars that he'll get in arbitration. And perhaps most importantly, you can't be the Yankees because there is no scenario on this planet where they will trade Mookie Betts to the yeah. Yankees. It just, it won't happen. And I included the Rays in that too. Uh, in the division, they won't pay him anyway. So those are the five things. And I came up with six teams that could possibly be interested. I think I said three that had made the playoffs last year and three that want to make the playoffs this year. And I will just list them all quickly here. The Dodgers, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Mets, the Reds, and the Padres. Now, I don't think all of those are equally likely. Uh, the odds of the Mets taking on that contract seems low, but they desperately need a center fielder. Betts can play center field, no problem. It's a good lineup. He would make that like a really good lineup. I think that that's, I mean, of these teams, I think they're probably the most likely fit, mostly because it's a one-year deal. And you don't, you can't stop now. I didn't love all the deals <laughs> they made last year, but you can't stop now. Exactly. So, but the, the difference is, other than, you know, the I think they've also, they've also been a team that's been hesitant about going over the luxury tax threshold and he would he would almost certainly put them there. Um, So that's probably the the, the biggest reason sort of red flag on on that deal. But it it makes sense from a team fit and the fact that the, while the Mets don't have a great farm system, they have enough, you know, you listed Dom Smith, JD Davis. So you have two young, good young big leaguers. JD Davis is an American league player. (laughs) Dom Smith is blocked by Pete Alonso. So like you start with those two and then you, you know, you have the Mets have a couple of very good young infield prospects. You could see a, a, a type of deal where you could, help the Red Sox big league roster for 2020 and also give them prospects with the right. farm system. And, and yet at the same time, if you had a headline that says Mookie Betts traded for Dominic Smith, I think Fenway Park might burn to the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, the Braves also make sense for similar reasons, but like they don't, they seem to very much be trying to just kind of keep. Well, what I was assuming there is that uh, Josh Donaldson leaves. That's true. So they need to replace the bat and he made what, 23 million, I That's think true. this last year. Yeah. I, I wrote this before they brought back Nick Barcakis, who they seemed committed to until, I don't know, our sons are doing this podcast. <laughs> um, daughter. I have daughter. Well, that's, you know, it was a hypothetical children, <laughs> but yes. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, 
I'd say it's 50-50. I think that like the blowback will be such that the Red Sox probably can't stomach it. And they because the thing about the Red Sox is that after this year, their payroll situation gets a lot more forgiving. Um, because there's a there's some uh some really big names that will be that would be free agents after this year, notably Betts, but also Jackie Bradley Jr., who I could see if they're trying to cut payroll, he's the one name I could see. I don't think they'd non-tender, but they could probably trade him for a they won't they, they could trade him for a cross-control reliever or something and, and Jackie Bradley for Scott Oberg. <laughs> um and also after this year, uh Rusny Castillo will be a free agent. Oh man. He's making fourteen million dollars a year playing a punt. <laughs> Um, so after this year, it's just that this year is really, um, if they keep bets, it's a big number, but it's not our money. Let's get to the meat of the show here. Yes. Who is the next Mike Talkman? <laughs> yes. That's what you've all been. That's why you've all, everyone, all, all right, you listeners. Let, are let me for. explain why in the world. Uh, I, I wish I could have like presented this topic to us from a year ago and just to see what they would have thought about what has happened over the next year in baseball. Uh, Mike Talkman was a pretty big breakout story this year for the Yankees. He was you know, one of the many guys they had who kind of came out of nowhere when everybody got hurt, like you know, Gio Urshela is one of those guys, Cameron Mabin, one of those guys. Uh, Talkman had uh, 69 plate appearances with the Rockies over the previous two years. I'll give you the stats, but they don't matter. It was 69 plate appearances, 153, 265, 203, irrelevant. And they never really gave him a shot despite desperate need in the outfield. They traded him to the Yankees right before opening day. And in 296 plate appearances with the Yankees, he had 277, 361, 504, 13 homers, plus nine outs above average, three and a half wins above replacement by baseball reference. That's a really, really good pickup. Um, He was a 10th round pick in 2013. He turns 29 in December. Now you may say to yourself, absolutely nobody could have seen that coming. However, one person did see that coming. It's not me. I wish it had been me. Uh, If you go back to February and you look at uh, fan graphs, actually rotographs, their fantasy segment uh, section, one of their writers, Alex Chamberman wrote, and I quote, this is the title, the definitive Mike Talkman hype post. And within, he basically came up with this methodology where he looked at combinations of plate discipline and power. He used isolated power and identified Talkman as a breakout back in February. Um, because in 2018 at AAA, he had a 13% walk rate, a 15% strikeout rate, and he slugged 571. Now you may be saying to yourself, you can't simply scout the stat lines in AAA, especially uh, at AAA for where the Rockies were. And that's true, except I posit this, Gio Gallegos, one of our favorites led the minors in strikeouts for like two years in a row. And he ended up being really good for St. Louis this year. So I thought to myself, well, what if I take that and I reverse engineer it and I do a version of it uh, that's not exactly the same, but sort of the same. Can I come up with some other names for next year? There's a, a 98% chance that you will never think about these names again. But if one of them hits, I'm going to be retweeting this podcast until the end of time. And wasn't that really what it's all about? So here's what I did. I went back to 2010 I looked for seasons with a minimum of 400 plate appearances, and I'm just looking at double A and triple A, not rookie ball, single A. I wanted to find guys who hit for power, so a slugging percentage of at least 500. I wanted to find uh, plate discipline, and, and the way I did that was I looked for a walk rate that was at least 80% of a strikeout rate, and you can't have been at least, uh, you can't have been 30 years old yet, so only younger guys, right? From 2010 to 2018, I found 12 player seasons that qualified, including some really fun ones. 2011, Paul Goldschmidt, 2014, Mookie Betts, uh, Max Kepler, Daniel Vogelback, Reese Hoskins, and 2018, Mike Talkman. So that's a good start. Those are some good names. Um, notable failures. Two seasons from Alan Dykstra? Remember him? <laughs> and that's is the other, the, I do remember him. And the other name on here is uh, David Cooper. And 
I mentioned this because David Cooper, Alan Dykstra, and Dan Vogelbach all basically the exact same profiles. So yes. It seems like if this if you're going to miss, it's that. Well, it's what, that it's that template. What I was going to say, Talkman is a very good outfielder. Yes. Right. So these are kind of first base sluggery types. Uh, a couple of guys who also missed uh, some due to a serious injury because I've never heard of them: James Darnell and Jermaine Mitchell, and then Quad A outfielder type Colin Cowgill. Anyway, there were four qualifiers in 2019. These are my guys for next year. At least two of them are. Uh, one of them is Trent Grisham. I know he's always just going to be remembered for that botch in the wild card game. How history might have been different if he didn't do that. Um, didn't, didn't he get like a big walk-off home run at some point in, in September for the I Brewers? I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, we're never going to remember that. We remember that. He you know, was a first-round pick in 2015. It's not exactly in the spirit of this to say he's like a, a low minors breakout guy. But anyway, he qualified. Uh, the second guy who like sort of qualifies because he was a borderline top 100 prospect was Tampa Bay's uh, Nate Lowe and you know, I'm not he's not my guy he already made it to the majors here's my two guys here are the randos uh, <laughs> that I'm gonna bet on for next year Connor Joe who was a the 39th overall pick by Pittsburgh in 2014 and since then has gone Pittsburgh to Atlanta to the Dodgers to the Reds to the Dodgers to the Giants to the Reds if you want to win a bar bet ask people what was the opening day outfield for the Giants in 2019 Connor Joe was the opening day left fielder Stephen Duggar was the opening day center fielder, and Michael Reed was the opening day right fielder, a Duggar in center. Uh, Connor Joe got 16 plate appearances, one hit, and he was returned to the Dodgers as a Rule 5 pick. In the minors, he hit 300, 426, 503, a 16% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate. He qualifies. I am all in on the Connor Joe experience. Where's he going to play in L.A.? Doesn't have to be L.A. <laughs> Just has to be somewhere. Uh, the other guy who was actually involved in an interesting trade this year, Josh Rojas, who was picked by Houston in the 26th round back in 2017. He was part of the Zach Granke trade. He, in uh, 284 plate appearances at AAA this year, hit 339, 426, 637, 12% walks, 15% strikeouts. Um, got a cup of coffee with the Diamondbacks, didn't do much. But, you know, Mike Talkman got a cup of coffee with the Rockies and didn't do much. So there you have it. Connor Joe and Josh Rojas, names you definitely know now for next season. <laughs> Rojas sounds interesting because he could have an opportunity to play. He's, and, a, he's a multi-positional guy. I yeah. think. He plays like all over the place. The Diamondbacks will find uh, will find some time for him. So um, you heard it here first if that happens. These definitely seems like names to watch on the the, the you know the, the transaction wire this year of guys who might show up and randomly in, in a, a trade. I love how uh, the Dodgers have acquired – uh, Joe, like three different times. Well, well, sort of. Uh, one of those was a uh, coming back via Rule Five, you know. <laughs> so true. Um, we do need to touch on one thing about Game Seven of the World Series. Um, there was a bit of history made in a very notable plate appearance in Game Seven, top of the seventh. Nationals are down two nothing. I think you might know what happens next. Uh, Zach Greinke got a ground out. He allowed a homer and he walked a hitter. Okay, so in comes Will Harris. And this has been like a pivotal discussion point ever since the World Series ended. A lot of people said, well, Granky is dealing. You can't take him out. If you've just given up a home run and a walk, are you still dealing? What are the rules of dealing? I don't know how it works, but that's what people like to say. Uh, AJ Hinch, to his credit, has been very consistent in saying, I don't regret it. Like, Will Harris has been awesome. He threw a pretty decent pitch. And Howie Kendrick, who's a really good hitter, stoinked it off the foul pole. <laughs> it wasn't hit 900 feet here. Yeah. you know. And not only the foul pole, the foul pole in Houston – it was like 45 inches away from home plate. It didn't work out. If he had left Granky in and the same thing happened, he'd gotten killed. He didn't say, hey, he just let two guys on. What are you doing? It's also like, I mean, you manage one way all year. Yeah. You're going to change, in, you know, in game seven of the World Series. Like, you manage all, all year. Like, hey, we're not going to get burned by guys the third time through the lineup. Right. And you have to stick to your guns. And, like, 
that just you know I know there's there's the obviously it's fun to watch starting pitchers dominate and throw go deep into games in October and I think that's definitely part of the thing that fans struggle with with like the opener and the aggressive pitching changes like yeah we definitely something so there's something that's lost with you know with the, with the, the disappearance yeah, of that it's, in the it's aesthetics yeah versus there's, there's something that's lost but the fact of the matter is that's how Hinch and most managers manage these days so like to expect him even though Granky had thrown quote-unquote only 81 pitches I mean that's just not that's just not the way they manage these days yeah and and for all the talk about Garrett Cole you can't bring him in with men on on two days rest like if you're supposed to put your guys in a position to succeed that is not that I would have brought him in the next inning with a clean inning but not in that spot the other thing that's also the, the, the what's messy about the Cole thing is him about to be a free agent and I think that they can't really talk about that but I feel like there was almost certainly a discussion that was had that was basically like listen I'll do this if we're winning but like if I get a chance to be on the mound to win the World Series but like I don't want to kind of try try and salvage a game I'm about to hit free agency. I think Hinch is sensitive to that. And I think it's it's an awkward situation because you can't really talk about it, but it has to be part of the calculation. Do you think he would have run into the mound with the Scott Boris hat on? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, none of this is the point. Here's the bit of history that I haven't seen anybody talk about. Uh, that's maybe, you know, trivia. It's minutia, but I thought it was interesting. So, uh, Granky, as I said, ground out home run in a walk. Here comes Will Harris. Will Harris gives up the Howie Kendrick home run. And then he gives up a single. He is then replaced by Roberto Asuna, who retires two of the next three hitters to end the inning. Okay, that's the seventh. Uh, in the bottom of the seventh, Patrick Corbin, you know, throws the entire inning. In the eighth inning, Osuna faces five batters. Ryan Presley comes in to get a lineup to end the inning. Corbin pitches the bottom of the inning. And in the ninth inning, Joe Smith faces four batters. And then Jose Urquidy retires two or three of the end of the inning. Daniel Hudson pitches the ninth. When Will Harris came in, he faced only two batters. And he did not end the inning. Is that the last time in baseball history we will ever see that again? Because next year, here comes the three batter minimum, which I am hugely in favor of. I would love it if this plate appearance, uh, the pitching appearance that we've talked about so much, actually was the last time we could ever see that. It's um, it's it's it makes me realize just thinking that we think about the offseason, how we also have to recalibrate how relievers are valued. That like you know, certain there might have been lefty one out guys, loogies. They weren't getting big deals, but they were getting guaranteed big league contracts. Oliver Perez—that's the first name that comes to mind. <laughs> You're mind. not going to see that this off season. Yeah. You know, they get you, pitchers are going to have to be have an ability to retire batters from both sides of the plate, which, to, I, which I'm in favor of. Yeah, I, for sure. I think it's, baseball has become too specialized. Um, so that's and uh, also 26 man rosters. So we also might see, okay. um, you know, maybe we'll see teams uh, versatile bench guys getting a little more value. So that's another thing that like could. Could change the uh, could change the calculus for 2019. It makes the offseason at least a little more interesting, just yeah. because it's different. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, here's to you, Will Harris, possibly the last of a dying breed. Uh, we are, I guess, a couple of days into the offseason. There have been some very minor moves, like Chase Anderson got traded to the Blue Jays. Uh, the Braves signed Nick Markakis to uh, yet another one-year deal. Qualifying offers are first up on the table, and we've already seen who has been offered them. We haven't gotten word yet on who will receive them. Um, for the most part, these are chalk, I think, right? Like, you know, you've got your, this listed out here. Uh, the first four guys, there's just no shot there accepting qualifying offer. Rendon, Cole, Strasburg, Wheeler. I mean, no there's, shot there. Well, there's no chance they'll accept it, and there's also no chance it's going to affect their market. No, not at all. But but then the next tier is an interesting tier to me. Is like these are three players who I don't think will accept it, but it could affect their their market for one reason or another. I'm not sure I agree on Josh Donaldson who's first on the list. He was so good this year. The thing is though that like because of his age, he's not someone you yes, you you would like him on a short term deal, but at the same time if you're only signing him to a two year deal, you're a little less excited about giving up a draft pick 
for a player who is already like 34 and it's only going to be there for two years. I don't think it have a major impact, but I think that like it could it could it could soften the market for him a little bit. I looked this up the other day. There's some impressive names who have been selected with the pick gained from losing qualifying offer guy like uh, Will Smith, the Dodgers, Will Smith, Aaron Judge, Jack Flaherty. Like there's some legitimate names there. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 a it's a it's a real thing. So I think that it also already even if it doesn't affect necessarily the open market, it may make them more likely to resign with the team that they were just on because that team won't have to sacrifice anything. So it might be more willing to give them a little more money, knowing that they won't have to give up a draft pick. To sign them. Next two guys on that part of your list here is Madison Bumgarner and Marcelo Ozuna. Um, Ozuna is someone I'm fascinated by. I'm going to probably write about him in greater detail. For two years in a row, he has significantly underperformed his expected metrics. He's just been okay, uh, but he's crushing the ball. And that's happened twice now. I don't know why. I look I look forward to finding out why. And I think some teams are going to be doing a lot of the same work. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's still young. He's 28. So for a free agent, there's a lot of appeal there. At the same time, he's a pretty one-dimensional player. He's an yeah. objectively like bad outfielder. Oh yeah, he can't with, throw with one of the worst arms in baseball. So like when you factor in those things, yeah, he's going to be desirable to a lot of teams. But you know, that's it's, interesting. We, we like I just said, JD Martinez is not an outfielder. Should we talk about Marcelo Zuna as not being an outfielder? Are they that different? I mean, I know Mar- Ozuna was once a good outfielder. And the other thing that, that hurts Ozuna is if you're looking for that kind of player, Castellanos is also out there. They're very similar profiles. Sure. He will not cost a qualifying offer. And he's even younger. Or yeah. I guess the same age. That's right? the same age. So yeah. I think that like they're they're kind of going head to head. And there's a lot. Also, if you want to go with sort of like the next level below that, there's also Puig out there who won't, who won't cost you. So there's um, he's he's not been as good as them in recent memory. But at the same time, like there are alternatives to Ozuna out there. So like if you when you throw in the draft pick thing, I think it could affect him. I also could see him ending up staying with St. Louis for the same reasons I was mentioning about Donaldson. They desperately need more offense. <laughs> I mean, exactly. God. Um, then the final three guys, and Matt has these listed as should probably take it. Um, I, I agree with you on two of them, but not on the third. The two I agree with you on are Will Smith, San Francisco's Will Smith, and Jose Abreu. Uh Will Smith, I, I was happy to see that the Giants offered it because he's not considered – you know, one of the elite closers in baseball he should be. He's been awesome. They didn't trade him at the deadline because they thought maybe they still had a shot at the wild card. He'll probably take it, and then they'll get a very good closer and possibly a good trade chip at the deadline. And if they don't, then they'll get a draft pick they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, I, I don't think I'd want to be him out there in a, in a market with the qualifying offer, but now that I'm thinking through it, the market for relievers this year is really bad. There's a ton of good starting pitchers. There are very few good relievers available. It's like him, Will Harris, and taking a shot at Dylan Batances. You know? <laughs> so maybe that changes his mind. Well, did it, I, I, and uh, not that not that Smith is a, a loogie, but um, righty's hit him pretty hard this year, at least for power. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it was, it's, it is interesting he got the qualifying offer. But I, I thought that was the right call. And then I was shocked that Jose Abreu got the qualifying <laughs> offer. Uh, he's basically said he will only play for the White Sox. You know, poor defense, mid-30s, righty-righty first baseman don't, generally do well uh, and this would be a raise for him so the fact that he isn't rushing to sign it tells me that they are working out i don't know a two-year deal for 28 million dollars and an option because if he goes out in the free agent market with qualifying offer he may never play baseball again <laughs> or he could, but that thing is he got the offer he could also just refuse to sign a deal and just be like i'll take the qualifying offer well, that's the thing. He, he should I mean, <laughs> maybe they've already like worked this out or something so you don't think otherwise you should take it I don't think Odorizzi should take. It. I, I at first I thought he would definitely. Um, it is there's a lot of good starters out there, but he was really good. He, like I looked at him a little more. He added like two miles an hour on his fastball, a career high in strikeout rate. 
I feel like he can get a three-year deal somewhere. I guess it depends. I guess it depends what he's looking for because he won't approach the average annual value. No, no. Um, so if it's if he just wants hey some stability, he's like I want a three or four-year deal. Yes, I'm sure he get a four-year deal for you know uh, forty to 50, 50 million. But if he's like I just want to maximize my earnings for this year, and then I, I I believe in myself, I'm gonna have another good year. I'm gonna go out next year without the qualifying offer. Um, so maybe he. Maybe, I'm not saying he should take it, but. I think there's a good chance he takes it. How about that? All right. Uh, let's finish off with uh, something a little fun, not exactly stack Award predictions. We have finalists. Um, who is going to win and who do we think will win? I, I, I got to say, here's a, a lukewarm tap water take here. The finalists are all really good. Like The only finalist that I saw uh, omitted was like AJ Hinch somehow didn't make the finals for manager of the year. I hate the manager of the year award. There's no good way to quantify it. What more does AJ Hinch have to do? Don't say win the World Series. The votes are in at the end of the regular season. The only two that sort of stood out to me, and I'm not saying they were bad per se, but they sort of surprised me. Actually, only one really surprised me. Uh, I thought Marcus Simeon being an MVP finalist surprised me. Um, and I think that like maybe we're putting a little too much weight into single season defensive metrics by making him an MVP, yeah, MVP finalist. That speaks to it. Definitely speaks to people looking at WAR it very does. closely when making their their ballot decision. It, because DJ Mayhew was not there. Well, I'm I'm glad you said that because we're going to go through and you're going to. And we're both going to say who we think should win. But uh, we are, even if we don't want to be, we are a little biased and colored at, on some level by what happened in the postseason, right? All the votes came in at the end of the regular season. However, I have a way around that because I tweeted out my picks at the end of the regular season on September 30th, and I have them here. And now I can compare and see if there's anything I actually feel differently about now. <laughs> um, and it's funny you say that because I had number three, my LMVP, Marcus Simeon. Okay. <laughs> so hooray for me. It could have easily, it was. it's like a five-way tie, right? Trout and Bregman in whatever order you want are one and two. And then huge gap. And then Simeon, Springer, Bogarts, Matt Chapman. Devers. Devers. There's a bunch of guys you could have gone with. Uh, let's just start with the Cy Youngs here. NL Cy Young. The finalists are DeGrom, Ryu, and Scherzer. When I uh, had my picks at the end of the year, I said, I actually didn't have Ryu in the top five. Look at me. <laughs> I said DeGrom, Scherzer, Strasburg, Bueller, and Flaherty. Um, Ryu's not going to win this. I think DeGrom is clearly going to win this. Yes, I think there's, I think it's too straight for Degrom. I don't think there's much question. Uh, AL Cy Young, the finalists are Cole Morton and Verlander. I had gone with Cole Verlander and Morton. I would pick Cole. I kind of think Verlander wins it though. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm it's with like a you. Tie, really. I, I mean, to me, uh, I'm sort of if Verlander wins this year, it will kind of make up for the years where he complained, where he think, said that he should. He should have won last year. Yeah, the, he probably should have won last year in the year with the Porcello. Porcello. No, no disrespect to Blake Snell last year, it should have been Verlander. So this is probably going to be his makeup year because, by basically all secondary metrics, Cole was much better. Uh, I don't know if I say much better, but but clear, he had the clear, advantage. Clear, clearly better. Um, it's too bad that Morton was still on the Astros that could have swept the top three. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Astros have a chance well, of becoming the first team ever yeah. to win all three player awards. But not the manager of the year for winning 175 <laughs> games. Uh, NL MVP, the finalists, I think these are pretty easy. Bellinger, Rendon, and Yelich. Uh, I had gone with Bellinger, Yelich, and Rendon. I, I do think Bellinger will win because Yelich missed some time at the end. Yeah, Yelich would have been... My pick to win and to my vote, my quote, 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 vote. But I think now I go with Belger, will and should win. Uh, in the American League, Trout, Bregman, and Simeon. It's not going to be Simeon. It's going to be Trout or Bregman. And it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, kind of a toss-up at this point. I don't care, obviously, that the Astros were good and the Angels were bad. Uh, but Bregman really made up that gap after Trout got hurt. I and mean, yeah. Bregman was awesome. You, yeah. could, you could very reasonably go either way. Now, I would still go Trout. 
I think Bregman will win. I think recency bias plus like the voters who still care about a good team. Will yeah, I think, I think I think Bregman's going to end up winning. Um, and I can't even be mad about it. Like and, in years past, when Trout doesn't win, I get mad about it. I I can't be mad. And about like it. Trout is, I mean, it's it's now become a regular thing that he like misses like he like misses time. He's like it seems like most years now he misses you know twenty or thirty games, and that I think there's been this will now at least be the second year in which an injury costs him an MVP. Uh, National League Rookie of the Year, the finalists are Pete Alonso, Fernando Tatis, and Mike Soroka. Alonso, I think, is going to win this unanimously. It's not even going to be close. I mean, Soroka was good. Tatis missed too much time. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that Paddock didn't wasn't a finalist because he played the full. He was good the full season. Brian Reynolds had a great year. Pirates fans are really excited. <laughs> there was there was a lot of good National League. I mean, Tatis was exciting, but he played eighty games. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I thought um, it was. I thought I, I thought that was a little but odd. eighty high quality games. That's true. Uh, Alonzo's going to win this. Yes, clearly. Uh, in the American League, this might. I don't know if you can have a larger gap than unanimous, but if you can, it's going to be whatever your Don Alvarez is going to do. He's going to destroy uh, John Means. And Brandon Lau will be the other two finalists. I somehow, I can't remember if I did this on purpose or if this was an omission. I did not have Brandon Lau in my top five when I did my my balloting. I went with uh, Eloy Jimenez, who was the outfielder, but crushed the ball over the second half. Means uh, Bo Bichette and Oscar Mercado were my top five. I know well, you're you're here for Luis Arise now, right? No, Lau had, a, <laughs> Lau had kind of a weird year because he missed a lot of time. Yeah. But he stayed like... Despite that, he ended up still ended up like on the if you went and like looked on fan graphs, went like rookies war. They played well. I he mean, stayed like he still was like number three despite the fact that maybe the injury like robbed him of his decline phase. Yeah. You know, you never know. Yeah. Uh and then I forgot to print out the manager of the year award finalists, but who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh not AJ Hinch in the American League. I think what Kevin Cash was there, Boone and uh francona i don't know yeah i'm trying, it, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look up, trying to look it up quickly but <laughs> uh you know manager of the year you know we're kind of just kind of guessing anyway it's, it's not going to be mickey calloway i can tell you that <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be joe madden probably um yeah no i'll give it to you now it's uh baldelli boone and cash in the al all, all and council schilt and snicker in the nl they're just boring those are so all of them are boring not that it, they're not deserving it's just Okay, the the guys who weren't the best team in baseball because Roberts isn't on that list either, right? So they eliminated the best, the most wins, and also Davey Martinez isn't on that list. Not it's, that they could have. It's basically known like that. the most surprisingly good team award is essentially yeah. is essentially what it is. So in the AL, if I if in the AL if I had to vote, I'd, I'd vote for Boone just because like the entire team missed got hurt. Yeah, and I think and I think he will win for that reason. Probably uh, in the NL, I'd vote for Council. Right. I have no opinions. I have no just because the, the 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 Braves, the Brewers, like on paper are not the, their roster. Yes, they've yellowish, but like their pitching staff is like it's, total like hodgepodge. Yeah, um, and they managed to make the playoffs again for the second straight year. So that he would be my, I guess him as as the uh, as the they winner. they saved money by trading Anderson. They non tendered or didn't pick up the option or whatever for uh, Eric Thames. Are they loading up for a pitcher for once? Like Bumgarner is a great fit there. Odorizzi, Wheeler. Um, they gotta I, get somebody. Yeah, I can, I can <laughs> like, see it. I can see it. All right, that's our show for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, we'll have some uh, moves and trades to talk about. This is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. Thanks for listening.